If you have your Bibles this morning, you could turn to Acts chapter 19. And we'll start off there in verse 21. You'll see the sub the subphrase there, or subtitle, A Riot in Ephesus. It's not my uh, uh, objective today to start a riot by any means, but I think there's some valuable truths here we can look at when we talk about the lives of our seniors and what that means for them. Um, we'll break down that passage in just a minute, kind of small chunks of time because it is a rather large passage but every year for our seniors what I've done over the past five years is usually at the banquet we give them or I give them my 10 rules for life these are the 10 things that uh, I think and might just be me but the 10 things that I think uh, need to be remembered on a regular basis to help us uh, get the most out of life enjoy the most uh, of our, our college years and getting the least amount of trouble during our college years. Um, and so we usually do this at the senior banquet. Last year was the first year we, we, we looked at it as a, whole, at the whole, as a whole church. And we're going to add five more rules to that. But as we look back over these ten right here, uh, kind of our, our top ten list that uh, first and uh, foremost, organi organization makes life easier, whether it's personal organization or organization at work. It just makes life easier when things are organized and you can find things. The second one was own your mistakes. Uh, I have a lot of respect for folks who just get up in front of a group of people who know they've messed up in front of these people and just say, hey, my bad. Uh, that earns a lot of street cred in my book. Pursue excellence in all things and the big things and the small things and the things that nobody sees and the things that everybody sees. Pursue excellence in all those things. Love is a choice, not an emotion. It's difficult some days to love some folks and it's difficult some days not to strangle some folks, but you gotta make the choice to love them anyway. Summers are for fun, not for school. I've never heard, uh, I've never had a conversation with a grown individual who says, man, I was sure thankful I skipped out on my freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior summer so that I could uh, take summer school. Uh, psychologists have uh, a clinical word for that, for people like that, we would call them sociopaths, and they are not your friend. <laughs> and you do not want to, uh, they do not have your best interest at heart. Summers are for fun, enjoy your summers, guys. You only get four of them. People are crazy. Uh, you're a little crazy, I'm a little crazy. We all have a little crazy, right? Crazy about certain things. The sooner we accept that we're all a little bit crazy, the easier it is to get along with the world around us. When expectations meet reality, there's inevitable disappointment. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we build up a specific event or a moment in life where we have these uh, expectations of, of what that moment is going to be like and then reality happens and inevitably there is disappointment in that moment. We need to prepare ourselves for that and not... Uh, be too disappointed. People are not projects, they're people. As we encounter the world around us, treat people like they're people. Education is valuable, uh, but experience is priceless. And the last one is that time is your most valuable resource. You can never get a refund on how you spend it. You can never make more of it. Don't waste yours, don't waste anybody else's. So these were our last, for the past five years, the 10 top 10 rules for life that I've, I've asked our seniors to remember on a regular basis. But this morning, uh, I'm gonna add five more to it uh, after uh, observing the past couple of years, just where we are at as a society, as, uh, as a culture. I think five things we can look at from this passage and get, gain some insight and some understanding on maybe some things we need to think about uh, on, on a more regular basis. The first uh, verse we'll read, we'll start off there in verse 21 and I'll read down 
And then we'll break down some, some of this passage. It says, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and uh, Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And at about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. They, these he gathered together and with a workman uh, in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth and you see and hear that not only is Ephesus but in almost all of Asia this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods and there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging them with them, Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. And now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. But some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis, uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. So here's what's happening in this passage. We have a riot that breaks out uh, due to Paul's teaching and preaching of the gospel. Uh, Paul's not directly involved in this moment outside of being a bystander watching what's going on and two of his helpers, uh, individuals uh, who are followers of Jesus are brought in front of a large crowd and things look like they're about to get ugly. So five rules for life that I'm going to look at and we'll draw from this passage to add to our list of rules for life. The first one is look up, look up. The other day I was walking to Walmart, uh, this was two weeks ago on a Tuesday uh, morning right before I was coming into uh, or Monday morning, right before I was coming to the office, I had to pick up something at Walmart. And when I get out of my truck, I'd put my phone in my pocket, and I was walking uh, to the front entrance on the left side of there at the West Main Walmart. And as I was walking, I noticed there was a, a middle-aged gentleman. He was looking at his phone very intently, and he was trying to type something. And he was walking at the same time, which for this individual was clearly a difficult task, because what ended up happening is, y'all know those center things that they... they centers it walking he's walking in a fairly brisk pace you can tell he's kind of in a hurry and he's trying to take care of and just centers it and he falls he, he it hits him right in the stomach and everywhere else involved in that region right there and he falls to his knees and he's clearly in pain and I walk up to him I said sir are you okay and he said I'm fine you could clearly tell he was embarrassed what could have solved that problem if he simply would have looked up and when we talk about and uh, regards to this passage, uh, this idea of looking up, I, I, I think what we should look, when we talk about this idea of looking up, what we should do is be aware, be aware of our surroundings. I 
talk to my boys all the time about situational awareness, recognizing where they are, what the situation is, and making sure they're making the right choices in those situations, both to keep them safe and to keep them out of trouble as well. And so when we look at this passage, those first couple of verses right there, look at verse 21, it says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After uh, I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So when we look at this passage, why are we in this passage? Why does this event even happen? Because logically speaking, if we understand the geography of what's happening in this moment with Paul, he, is, he, is, he has made this commitment to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is leading him back to Jerusalem uh, and says, you know, and he is going to take this journey to Jerusalem. If you were to pull this up on a map from a geographical standpoint, when Paul resolves to go to Jerusalem, and it says he goes through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, this would be the equivalent of me saying to you, saying, hey, let's go on a road trip to Atlanta, but we're going to take that route that takes us through Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, right? Makes no sense whatsoever. They're going in the exact opposite direction of where they need to be going, Paul, where Paul feels called to back to Jerusalem. Why is that? Because Paul is aware uh, of his surroundings. Paul is aware of the need in Jerusalem. If you were to look at Romans 15, verses 25 to 27, it says, Paul writes this, it says, How, uh, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So why is he going to Jerusalem? He is bringing aid to the saints. He's aware of the needs in Jerusalem. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So why is he taking this specific route? Well, he's picking up money along the way. Yes, it's out of the way. Yes, it's more difficult. Yes, there is peril involved. But Paul is aware of the need in Jerusalem. But Paul is also aware of the opportunity in Ephesus. Paul knows that incredible things are happening in Ephesus. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 8, it says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And so Paul's aware of the opportunity that he's presented with and why he must stay in Ephesus for a little bit longer. He's aware of the need in Jerusalem. He's addressing that. He's beginning his journey to get there, going the opposite direction, but in order to pick up aid for Jerusalem. But Paul is also aware that there's still great opportunity in Ephesus as well to preach the gospel. But at the same time, Paul is aware of his adversaries in Ephesus. Look at that last part of verse 9. It says, and there are many adversaries there in Ephesus. If we don't look up, we can't see the needs in front of us. We can't see the opportunities uh, around us. And we can't keep our eyes open for the uh, adversaries against us that are around us. So rule number 11 for life, look up. Be aware of what's going on around you. Our second rule this morning is this, is to either fix it, deal with it, but whatever you do, stop complaining about it. There in verse 23, we meet kind of the, uh, uh, I don't know what the literary, the protagonist, maybe uh, the literary term we'd use there, Demetrius. Now, we know Demetrius in this passage, he's the bad guy, right? He's the one that incites the right. He's the one uh, that is gathering uh, a, a small force against these Christians that he thinks in his mind uh, are impeding on his right to business and his right to worship. So we meet Demetrius, but what I like about Demetrius is that Demetrius is a fixer. 
Man, he's somebody that doesn't just complain about what's going on. Man, he is gathering people together, getting them on the same page. Demetrius is a fixer. Verse 25 there says, There he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. He is putting his team together. Used to, um, our schedules are crazy, and uh, mine and Haley's, and oftentimes we'll uh, go weeks or months without riding in the car together for a specific event. And used to every once in a while, when, uh, you know, after we hadn't been together for a few months, uh, I, we would have to drive together to go out of town or something. So, and we would always take uh, Haley's car because Haley always had uh, the newer car of, of, of the two of us. And, and we both drive really high mileage vehicles. Um, and I do all of our maintenance on our vehicles, all that stuff. Uh, and, and so the, I, I always expect there's going to be some kind of issue with the vehicle at some point. Uh, but my goal is just to keep them running, right? Keep them on the road. But I used to get so frustrated when I hadn't been in her car in a few months and I put the key in the ignition and then this Christmas tree of lights comes on the dash that this is going wrong and this is going wrong and this is going wrong and this is going wrong. And, and, uh, and as most of you know, um, you, you have pictures for different things and I would ask, why didn't you tell me about this? Well, I didn't know what that picture meant. Well, I just let me know uh, that the picture came on the thing. Like, just let me know that a light came on. And so uh, I used to get so frustrated with that. And then I realized, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's my responsibility to make sure the car is in working order. And so what I started doing, instead of, uh, you know, complaining about it or, you know, getting frustrated when it happened, once a week, every Tuesday. It's every Tuesday because usually that's my slowest day during the week that I take the boys to school. I try to take them every morning, but uh, on Tuesdays especially, that is the morning that I get in Haley's car and I take her car to drop the boys off and then bring her car back and then get in my truck and come to work. Because every week on that weekly basis, I get to see what's going on with her car to make sure everything's all right so that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we're without a car for an extended period of time because we let something go a little bit too long. You've heard the old adage, every, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? But what if the wheel never squeaks in the first place because it was greased and taken care of with preventative maintenance to begin with? When we talk about Demetrius here in this passage, he is a fixer. He, he, he sees a problem beginning to happen in his worldview. In his worldview, he sees that this individual, Paul, and the people who are following Paul and this guy named Jesus, these Christians, they are posing a problem for him. And instead of letting it get to a point where it's, it's, it's this point of no return, Demetrius on the front end of this deal says, hey, we need to put an end to this. He's a fixer. And I, you know, and, and I get that. And I'm not mad or aggravated, even though he was wrong, and we know he was wrong. Man, he was just a guy who was out there trying to fix stuff. So he's a fixer. Not only that, but Demetrius also knew how to persuade people. When you talk about this idea of, of uh, fixing or solving a problem, it's important for us to persuade the people around us, one, that there is a problem, and two, this is how I would or you would fix this particular problem or solve this particular uh, situation that needs a solution. When Demetrius makes those statements there in verses 25 where it says, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here not only the, uh, in Ephesus but in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that the gods made with hands are not gods and that there is danger not only in this trade uh, of ours that, you know, Artemis may come and disrepute there. And look there in the last part of the verses, 
uh, where it says uh, Artemis may be counted as nothing. I mean, he's using this persuasive language like danger and disrepute and making sure that he's including everybody in this when he says, look, all of this is all of our problem there. I mean, he is playing to not only the economic situation of, hey, this is affecting our business, man, but he's playing to that civic pride of, look, man, we can't let these people take, we can't let these individuals uh, take away what is rightfully ours. Man, he's just a fixer. And even though we know he's the bad guy, I respect him for that. He's just trying to solve a problem that's in front of him. So not only do we look up, not only do we fix and solve the problem and don't complain about it, our third point this morning, our third rule for life, our 13th rule for life, is never underestimate the power of ignorant people in large groups. Now in your blank there, this is not how I usually say this phrase, okay? Ignorant was the most church-like word I could use there. If in that blank, if you want to use another word or sentiment for, for individuals who don't have a lot of sense that you think of whatever word you want to use there, you put there. But ignorant was the one that I could get away with in church without getting in trouble or a deacon calling me later this evening, right? But never underestimate the power of ignorant people in large groups. When you get a large group of people together, it is especially in today's time uh, in culture, it is way too easy to get them riled up about one particular thing. And when they get riled up about one thing, man, it's easy to get them to take action on that one thing, even though they may be completely ignorant of what's going on around them. Look there in verse 28. When Artemis had, or when Demetrius had gotten all of these individuals together uh, in this conversation about their goddess Artemis, uh, you know, he, he is trying to... Uh, activate the situation, create this right where they can overthrow, take over, take control of the situation, get rid of Paul, get rid of these individuals called Christians. And then they, they're just missing the point. They're missing what's going on. And later on, we'll see why we know that they're missing the point. But then verse 28 says, when they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, great is Artemis, uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging these men, Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, however you want to say that, uh, just make sure it doesn't sound like a cuss word when it comes out your mouth, of the Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So when we talk about, you know, never underestimating the power of ignorant people in large groups, First thing we need to know, how do we wind up not being in that group? How do we make sure that we're not part of the ignorant crowd that's not aware of what's going on, but we're just caught up in the emotion of it all? Well, the first thing is this, is that we need to recognize that it is about emotion. It's easy to get swept up in the emotion of a moment. It's easy to get swept up into uh, a situation because you see other people. We, people like drama, right? We like a little... We, we, just for excitement's sake, people just like to either participate or, or view. And I'm not talking about like a lot of drama, but we just like a little, a little spice in the day, right? To, to see a situation or be a part of a situation where, you know, we, things might get a little heated. It's just who we are when we watch, uh, you know, uh, videos or, or movies. And it would be an incredibly boring movie if there was no uh, contrast, if there was no uh, uh, conflict there in that movie. And, you know, we wouldn't watch that. We just, we, we, we're drawn to conflict. And it's easy to get caught up into the emotion of these high-intensity, high-pressure moments. And that's what happens here. These individuals, as they gather two of Paul's friends there, 
man, they're caught up in that moment and they're swept up in the motion. Uh, and when we talk about this mob mentality, this mob mentality, usually there's two characteristics. Usually the first characteristic is anger. It's typically the way the world reacts to Christianity there, especially in uh, first century Rome and surrounding areas. And then the characteristic number two is confusion. There is anger, but there's also confusion. They're clearly confused about what's going on because Luke, the writer of Acts, makes that known. Look there in verse uh, 29 and 29, he makes mention there. Uh, he says, so the city was filled with confusion, but they still rushed together into the theater, all right? They don't even know what's going on, but man, they're still all coming together. Verse 32, he mentions it again, man, it's a point of emphasis in this passage. Now, some cried out with one thing, and then some cried out with another thing, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them didn't even know why they had come together in the first place. Man, there's confusion, but everybody's caught up in this mob mentality. Man, it's a lot of ignorant people in a large group together, and things are possibly about to get ugly. And then you got some folks in the crowd, which leads to our second point, under, uh, or leads to uh, be there. Alexander and the Jews, they were ignorant to the fact that this moment wasn't even about them. I don't even know why this is mentioned in the passage, because it has nothing to do with Alexander and this group of Jews, because this riot is in regards to Paul. Uh, it is in regards to this new way, this idea of Christianity, not to the Jews. And look there in verse 33. It says, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. Well, what is he wanting to make a defense of? The Jews were instructing Alexander to speak for them. He most likely was a spokesman that, you know, probably spoke on their behalf on a regular basis, is why he's mentioned by name. But the purpose for putting him forward was that they feared the riot might turn into maybe a possibly an, an, an ethnic massacre, and wanted, uh, they wanted to disassociate themselves with the crowd but all of that said they the, the whole none of this is about them none of this is about uh, their situation they've completely missed the point they're completely ignorant to why they're gathered here in this crowd today it's not about them but rather Paul and the way not uh, Alexander and these Jews right they just got swept up in the confusion of it all they see a large group of people gathered together and they're angry and they automatically assume Oh, it's about us. We better get up there and we better provide a defense for ourselves. But as soon as he gets up there, the crowd's not having it. They don't want to be a part of it. They uh, continue to scream and chant their chant, great is Artemis of Ephesus, right? Point number four. Number four, rule number 14 now. Beware of echo chambers. What is an echo chamber? Well, echo chamber is something that too often, far too often we get stuck in, especially in today's uh, world of social media, of uh, any kind of media that we take in online. You've heard this thing called an algorithm, right? Over the past couple of years, you hear that word algorithm a lot. It is so easy for me um, to get, it, when I view media, especially through uh, uh, YouTube, there's a specific algorithm. Uh, there's a lot of history stuff on there. There's a lot of storytelling stuff on there. Uh, there's uh, a, a, a lot of uh, not necessarily political arguments, but, but you know, more argument stuff. There are a lot of videos and a lot of individuals that I watch on a pretty regular basis. And if I'm not careful, that's all, that's all my algorithm on YouTube feeds me all day long. And, and, it gets, and, and, it, and it can get to where I'm inside this echo chamber and I'm hearing the same voices saying the same things and I begin to get agitated at the same things they're agitated with and it's easy for me 
to misunderstand or miss uh, or place somebody else possibly inside of a box that doesn't think like I do, that doesn't have the same thought process or why we should do something a certain way and label them as they're the bad guy where I'm the good guy, this algorithm. Here's how I, uh, uh, on a regular basis, try to not let the algorithm persuade uh, my, my YouTube habits. I hand my phone to my boys and just say, look up, you know, whatever kid stuff you want to look up on YouTube. Of course, I have parental controls and all that stuff. And so it goes from listening to Jordan Peters' 12 Rules of Life over here and then checking out a video on what's happening in Minecraft this week uh, over here. I try to keep the algorithm thrown off a little bit, right? So it's, you know, not putting me inside this echo chamber. But echo chambers, they can move a group of people to an extreme position in a fairly short amount of time, right? Here's Demetrius, he's gathered these people together. He's going from place to place. He's getting more people gathered together as they're on their way to the city square to, 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 to try to quell Paul and his companions and travel. Man, they, they're, you know, this, this group mentality, this mob mentality uh, is being triggered by this echo chamber that, man, everybody's just getting caught up and emotional in the moment. And they find themselves in the middle of the city square there. It says, and when they heard these, they were enraged. Great as Armaeus, they, they dragged these two guys, Gaius and uh, Aristarchus uh, of the Macedonians, who were Paul's companions and travel men. They gathered those guys together. Man, they're about to put these guys on a public trial. And uh, I don't know what their intentions were. Uh, knowing first century Rome and customs of the day, I would imagine it would be to make sure these guys don't see tomorrow, right? So echo, echo chambers can move groups of people into an extreme position rather quickly like they did in this moment. And then don't miss this, there's another passage there. It's imperative that we build bridges with people outside of our comfort zone. Seniors, as you get ready to encounter the world around you, you're walking into a new place. Man, you'll never have an opportunity where you get to meet people from as many different places as you're about to get to be in. This is what it says in Acts 19. Verses 30 and 31, it says, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, this is the first time we're made aware that Paul has now made it to where he had sent in uh, Timothy and Erastus. He had made it to where they were. He showed up on the scene. It says the disciples would not let him go. He's trying to come to the defense of his two buddies, but even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and we're urging him not to venture into the theater. When I read this passage, and I'm look at, looking at, at who these Asiarchs are, they are these members of a noble and wealthy families of the province of Asia. They were bound together in a league for prompting the cult worship of the emperor of Rome. That's kind of their job. They would build a, a temple there in cities and make sure that there was worship of the emperor of Rome. And every year, uh, there would be a new Asiarch elected uh, for the entire providence, and they would hold that office for life, but uh, for, the mo for most believe that it was for life. But every year there was another person elected. So the, these Asiarchs, these group of Asiarchs in each province grew and grew and grew every year by at least one individual. And so they were elected for each city that had a temple honoring and worshiping the emperor. And this title was uh, born for life, like I said. But don't miss that, that look at that passage. What does it say about these Asiarchs? They were friends of Paul. What does that mean? Why is that put in there? The very fact that such men of prominence and wealth and pagan worship were Paul's friends with the utmost clearness clarifies to us that they did not regard Paul nor his followers as dangerous 
or as carrying on any unlawful activity. All these other individuals are caught up in the emotion of the moment and here are these leaders of the city, here are these leaders in their society, in their culture who are friends with Paul and who Paul has connections with. Paul has not surrounded himself or put himself inside of this echo chamber where he's only hearing people who follow Jesus, where he's only surrounding himself with people who follow Jesus. Much like Jesus, Paul, man, he's just reaching out to anybody and everybody and encountering the world around him. And he's building relationships with those people regardless of their belief systems. It's important that we beware, or beware or that we are aware of echo chambers, but at the same time, it's imperative that we build bridges with people outside of our comfort zone. And then our last point, our last point, your character will always speak louder than your words. I'm running low on time, so here's how I'll finish this out. When we look at this last passage here, in verses 35 on um, this town clerk quiets the crowd he gathers them together and as he gathers them together he makes a defense for these two individuals these two individuals never speak Gaius and uh, however you pronounce the other guy's name right seeing that these things cannot be denied you ought to be quiet and do nothing there in verse 36 he's talking to the crowd this town clerk for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. They haven't said anything against us. A, there, Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, uh, they treated people with respect. Verse 37, where it says they, they neither were sacrilegious nor blasphemers of, their, of the goddess Artemis there that these guys were. They say, look, these guys don't have anything to do with what you guys are doing in this moment. Don't miss that a pagan official testified that these Christians' character, they testified to their character that they were neither thieves nor that they use insulting language. They did not act improperly. And that is because when we talk about what's happening in this moment, Gaius, they didn't need point B there. They didn't need to present a verbal defense because their character had already spoken volumes. If you were looking there at verse 40, it says, for we are in danger. This is, once again, the, 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 this clerk who is gathered in front of this crowd. He's trying to put down this rebellion that is about to occur, this riot that is happening in the moment. He says, for we are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Once again, Paul's two friends, their character had already spoken volumes they never had at any point in time in this process to give a verbal defense because their character was doing it for them. Five more rules. Look up, fix the situation, solve the problems around you. Never underestimate the power of ignorant people in large group. Don't get caught in those echo chambers and understand that your character will always speak louder in words. When we live life by those rules, I think we wind up in a pretty good situation as followers of Jesus. Seniors, we are so excited for you over these next weeks and months, what the Lord is doing in your lives, how the Lord is working. I pray as you get ready to encounter the world around you in a new way as you move to your college campuses or future jobs, whatever the case may be, the individuals that the Lord puts you around, be aware of the needs around you and the opportunities around you. Look for places and problems to solve through the eyes of Jesus and what he's done in your life. 
be the solution, not the problem. I love you guys. I'm going to pray for us and we'll enter into a time of invitation. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are, for what you do for us. We thank you for the time you give us to open up your word this morning, to look at this moment in the life of Paul and, and his two friends, Father, who found themselves in a difficult situation, Lord. And Father, my prayer for us is this morning as we uh, encounter the world around us that can sometimes spiral out of control rather quickly, that can uh, seem like, you know, uh, just total chaos erupts out of nowhere, Lord, that in those moments, Father, we're aware that you have us there for a reason, Lord, that we're there to fix problems, to make solutions, to have solutions to problems, Lord, that we are there to testify what you have done in our life and that you are the God of all things, big and small, in the big moments and the small moments. Lord, that you are the solution that we so desperately need and the world needs around us. And today we praise you for that as we enter into this time of worship, Father. We ask, or this time of invitation, we ask that your spirit lead us in whatever decisions we have to make. We love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen.